All right, well, this week we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, it's the passage where it talks about the full armor of God and what that looks like. I've heard about it literally all my Christian life. You need to have your armor on and all those kind of things. Like it's um, our responsibility, I've felt for years, to uh, somehow protect myself against all that's going on out there. And if I don't have my armor on that day, I'm just a sitting duck, you know, for the enemy and his plan. So let's jump into the scripture and have a look at uh, what it has to say here. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And having shod your feet, uh, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and with petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, several points there, but I want to rem remind us of one thing. God is doing something and what he's doing is he's making us like him. And that means that he's making us to live like he lives, to respond the way he responds, to love like he loves, to be patient like he's patient and so forth, to be able to forgive and those kind of things. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the mystery of the gospel, which was hidden in plain sight, which was Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the, the mindset I mentioned at the very beginning today, uh, this is up something I'm supposed to do, put on the armor and go fight this battle, was based on an idea that God's over there or up there or somewhere, and I'm over here doing this battle thing, trying to do it the right way and live like he lives and figure all this out, when in reality, he lived inside of me all the time. And it was never me doing this and getting his approval. It was us doing this. It was him finding the battle in me. And we'll see that in this passage. Because it says in the very beginning, uh, we do this by being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, so if he and I are fighting the battle together, like the sword of the spirit, that's the word of God. Well, he is the living word of God. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and he, and he made everything. So that's John chapter one. So God, the word of God, the living word, lives inside of me. And the ability to speak his words come from hearing 
in the spirit and also reading in the scripture and getting to know what he says in situations like this so that when I open my mouth, his words come out. So it's, it's him living in me, like it says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All right, so that is what I call conformity to Christ in real time. That's in this moment, Christ is living and he's using my voice and my hands and my body to do this living. You know, I, I thought about how to illustrate that. <clears throat> Let's say that as a guitar player, um, I come up to somebody who's got a guitar and they don't know how to play a certain song, but I do. And so I say, well, if you'll let me use the guitar, if I can hold your guitar, I will play the song. It's your guitar, but I'll play it. And so I play a song that they don't know how to play. Okay, it's, it's a little different than that, obviously, but let's say the guitar in our illustration here, what I'm illustrating is, is that's my body. Okay, so what I'm doing is God knows how to respond to my enemy. He knows how to love my wife. He knows, he knows how to be honest in situations where I'm tempted not to be. He knows uh, how to be bold when I would probably lean towards maybe being a little timid in certain situations. He knows how to be kind and generous and all those things. All right, so at the moment, I don't know how to do that, but he does. And I let him use my guitar. I let him use my body, my voice, my life to live his life. And we talked about a number of weeks ago how that happens when we say like Christ said when he faced the cross, not my will, but your will be done. And he didn't have a crummy will. He didn't have this you know, sinful will. He didn't have a selfish will. He didn't have a will that was largely tainted by the flesh or something like that. He had a perfectly righteous, holy, godly will. But he said, not my perfectly righteous, holy, godly will, but your perfectly righteous, holy, and godly will be done. Now, could they be different? I don't know. In, in that very moment, he said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. So there was a desire, at least on his part, as the human side of him would say, I know what's about to happen to me, and I, part of me doesn't want to do that. That humanity, that the realization of the beatings and the, the crucifixion, what all that was going to mean for him physically. Um, the humiliation and the shame and the spitting it talks about that, that went on, pulling out his beard and those kind of things. All right, so he had to say, okay, here, you can use this to do your will. You can use me. You can, you can live your life through me. Now, some people don't like the idea that God uses us, and they're kind of using a vernacular term, you know, God doesn't use people. He loves people. Well, you know, I want God to use me. I want him to speak his words through my voice. I want him to do his work with my hands and my facial expressions, show kindness and love to other people. So I wouldn't get hung up or, or make the word use a pet peeve of yours. It's okay. Use me. You know, the, the, the prophet said when, when God said, who will I send? He said, here am I, send me. You know, Isaiah said, use me. I'm, I'm, I'm your dog, hunt with me. Okay, and that's okay. Because he loves us. He's not using us like a disposable straw we throw in the trash after we got through drinking the drink. He's, he's working with us. He's in concert with us. And he's brought us into a, 
uh, partnership with him. All right, so this is a real-time dynamic. Now think about this. The armor of God, as we go through the bits and pieces of the armor, it says that we're not really wrestling against flesh and blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I look around the world around me, and sometimes I feel like that person over there is my enemy. But I'm actually not. They're not my enemy. They feel like it. Maybe the words are coming out of their mouth, but they're actually speaking the words of Satan or the world system, and that is hurtful to me. But they're not my enemy. So I can look past that and realize that there's these rulers and powers and forces of darkness and wickedness in heavenly places. All this stuff is going on around us, but the scripture has plainly taught us over the years that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, when the prophet prayed that God would open the eyes of his servants, he saw the armies of God standing against the armies of the world that had come to kill the prophet. And so that's who you are as a child of God. So when, that, when it seems like they get through, like they did in Jesus' case, and crucify him, it only turns out for something that we didn't understand maybe going into it, but we look back and see it later. Oh, that's what God was doing, why he allowed me to go through that hardship and that difficulty. He wasn't abandoning me. He was protecting me in the real essence of my being, in the spirit. And he was strengthening me, and he was preserving me. And even if they kill this body, like the Bible says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who is able to cast both body and soul into hell. All right, so putting on the armor, I think that means be cognizant of the truth of who you are every day. For instance, it says, stand firm. Okay, the enemy, quote, is coming at me. The world system is against me. This circumstance is devastating to me. This relationship that's falling apart has broken my heart. Whatever. Stand firm. You know, we're tempted a lot of times to rush in, make a change, do something different, try to conform to the world around us to stop the damage, when in reality, that doesn't work. You know, the world even looks at that and says that's something like codependency. But in reality, our ability to stand firm when everything else is falling around down around us is based on the fact that we are standing firm in christ that he is our stability he is our rock the bible talks about that he's the strong tower we hide in when the enemy comes uh, we're in his hand he's the, we're the apple of his eye he he protects us but it looks like it sometimes he's not because the outer shell is being bombarded this body even my mind at times or many times is bombarded with the world and it feels almost out of control All right so i think putting on the armor he's saying be remember who you are and what's really going on around you he tells us to stand firm don't don't let this cause you to vacillate uh, remain firm in your faith and we're going to look at that here in just a second, because it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, Be sober and watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him firm in your faith. Okay, not firm in my circumstances. I'm firm in my trust in God as long as my circumstances are turning out right. No, I'm, I'm firm in that I trust God no matter what happens to me outwardly. 
You know, Paul said, whether by life or by death, uh, if we live is Christ to die as gain, he said. Spiritual warfare. You know, he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but all these forces. You know, Ephesians 6 talks about, that we just read, uh, that it's all about these spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. All right, so he mentions the first bit of armor, the belt of truth. Uh, old translations called it the buckler. Uh, it holds the rest of the armor on. It was a big belt they would put on that had hooks and rings and stuff on it. So when they put on the, the breastplate, it would buckle to that thing. Uh, the scabbard that held their sword was buckled to that belt. And it, this kind of held everything on. There was kind of like a, a skirt, almost like a kilt that they wore of uh, iron plates or mail or some kind of protective ar armor for the lower part of the body, the legs and, and so forth. And that buckled onto this belt. And it says we put on the belt of truth, the truth of who we are in Christ, the truth of our righteousness, the truth of his love for me, the truth of all kinds of things holds me together. It holds the rest of it on. When I realize, like he says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that breastplate of righteousness that we put on next is held on by the truth. And truth is something that I know to be absolutely correct and I trust it, even though what's going on around me doesn't look right. There's a lot of things in, in uh, this world that an optical illusion will fool you, uh, make you think that uh, something's going on when it's really not. I went to a, uh, one of the attractions at Disney World one day, and it was a room that was round and it had movie screens all the way around the room. And you stood in this room, not sat down, you stood in this room in, in lines, and there were railings in front of every line of people. You're standing kind of shoulder to shoulder. And I thought, well, what were the railings were for? I guess just to keep us in line, who knows? Well, they started showing things on these movie screens. And you know, in one movie screen, it looks like you're in a boat that's rocking back and forth. And people began to sway because what they were seeing made them feel like the boat that they were on was tilting. And so people would sway to overcome, they'd lean one way to overcome the tilt of the boat, and they'd fall over because they were on a level floor that wasn't tilting. And so the railings were there so we could hold, on, hold ourselves up even though we felt like we were swaying and bobbing up and down. And, and if you closed your eyes, which I did, suddenly the feeling of swaying back and forth or whatever disappeared and you open your eyes and you go, wow, I was being fooled by what I saw. Well, a lot of times what we see in this world fools us. We feel like we're not safe. We feel like we're vulnerable. We feel like God doesn't love us. We feel like uh, the person I love is my worst enemy or something like that. And we begin to sway around. Well, the truth of what's really going on is like that railing. We can hold on to that and it keeps us upright, even though the input in our senses is telling us very, something very, very different is going on. And one of those things is righteousness. It's real easy to believe that because of the world, maybe thoughts I've had or uh, behaviors I haven't matured out of yet, that I'm not righteous. But we didn't become righteous by stopping bad stuff. 
we became righteous by faith, it talks about in Philippians chapter 3. And we were given the gift of righteousness on the basis of faith. So truth tells us that. So when the world says, well, you're not righteous, the Holy Spirit says, yes, you are, because I am your righteousness. And I have imparted my righteousness to you, and you are my righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right, so that's a battle that goes on. And the, and the accuser of the brethren, those, those spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, is accusing us and bombarding us with, you're just a low-life you know, dog. You, you can't, you know, you, how could you say you're righteous? Look what you just did. Look what you just said. Well, when a child is born, they're a human being. They may, they may do some inhuman-looking stuff, but eventually they grow up and learn to act mature. And the same thing is true of us spiritually. So we're growing into, if you will, the righteousness we were born with in Christ Jesus. The next thing it talks about after the breastplate of righteousness is the feet being shod with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In both Isaiah 52 and Romans 10, it talks about beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, I've heard of a couple of ministries called Beautiful Feet Ministries. And it's all about going out and helping people and proclaiming the good news. Well, he wants us to be prepared for that, uh, to go somewhere, to do something, be willing to um, be available. Again, you know, Isaiah, God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Uh, he had his shoes on. He was ready to go. All right, now remember, this isn't, I'll go do this and come back and report to God later on how it went. Because what he's saying is, who will go with me to do this? Because he lives inside the believer. He's never asking us to go do something for him that he's not going to go do himself. Everything is an invitation for us to go along with him to speak his words and do his deeds. The next one is the shield of faith. Um, I love this. One day I ran into a, a passage of scripture in Psalm 91 where it says his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. It's, it's a protection. It's something I, that protects me from. You know, in Ephesians here it says the shield of faith extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. Those things that Satan throws at us, the lies and all that kind of stuff. And they hit the shield and the fiery dart goes out because it's contrary to what we believe and hold on to be as true. Well, over the years, I have felt like at times I was being taught to have faith in faith, that my faith should make this happen. Like I was the operative power behind seeing something happen. And if it didn't happen, it must have been like my faith was crummy or something. But it says in Psalms, his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. So when my faith is in the faithful one, if I'm trusting to do some, him to do what he has promised to do, and he can't lie or break a promise, it says in Hebrews, because those are impossible for him, then I can trust that his promise will be fulfilled whether I live long enough to see it or not. Because many people, the Bible talks about in Hebrews 11, died in faith having never actually seen the promise but they died believing it'll come true. And sure enough, it happened. Two, three, four, ten, whatever generations later. You know, Abraham was promised uh, that he would be a great nation and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Um, 
Well, he died with one child. He didn't see a great nation. He did live long enough to see some grandchildren. If you add up the birthdays, he was still alive when uh, Isaac's kids were born. But still, that's not a great nation. He's down to one kid and a couple of grandsons. Okay, but what happened was, certainly his descendants became a great nation. And today, through him, the promise of the coming Messiah, through his lineage, is blessing every nation and tribe and tongue on earth. And so just because Abraham didn't live long enough to see the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the coming of the new covenant, which is identical to the promise God made to Abraham, that didn't mean God wasn't faithful because God doesn't work on our time scale, uh, time scale and time uh, chart that we go by, our calendars and so forth. I wish he did at times, but then I see the wisdom later and so I'm still waiting on some promises to see them fulfilled. And I've decided that if God waits till after I've gone on to the glory, died and gone to heaven to fulfill that promise, that's fine because he is faithful to do what he promised he would do. That helmet of salvation, that next piece. Again, all this is together. He's, he is my bulwark. He is my buckler. He hold, he's the truth that holds everything on. He's my righteousness that he's given to me and he protects me, my heart. I think the, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs. And um, he wants me to know that I'm protected by the righteousness of God, it talks about in Peter. All right, so the helmet of salvation you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so I'm saved. What does that mean? Well, he loved me so much he gave Christ to purchase me, and then he raised Christ from the dead. And when my faith is in Christ, I died, was buried, and was raised with him. And now I'm seated with him in heavenly places, the Bible says. Wow. All right, so that's, that's the... Uh, that's the helmet of salvation. That's renewing my mind in the moment when I'm tempted to feel like I'm kind of worthless or not valuable to God or inept or inadequate or any of those things we might be tempted to feel as our reality. But we're transformed by renewing the mind. So the reality of salvation and what that proves to you and me refutes any attempt, if we allow it to, for us emotionally, it will refute any attempt that the world and the enemy would have to try to tear us down and get us to walk around and live as though God doesn't love us, as though we're not very valuable, as though we are inadequate for all things. You know, Paul said our adequacy comes from Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not inadequate. He loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow, I am loved. God proved his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to do something to deserve love. He, he loved us first. You know, 1 John 4, 19, we love because God first loved us. All right, so this whole armor of God is... The things that are true about us with him, 
because he is with us. You know, he said when you sit the Spirit, he'll be in you, with you and in you forever. So he's not just in us, he's with us. He's on our side. He's, he's fighting on our behalf. And even if we fall down and we feel like, okay, I can't do it anymore, he doesn't let go of us. Because his grip on us is not dependent upon our grip on him. That's why Jesus said, you're in my hand, I'm in the Father's hand. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Uh, we are secure as God's children. So in those moments when I'm facing real life and the warfare that goes on around me, and the warfare that goes on inside of me, in my mind and in my soul still, I can stand firm knowing that I'm not in this alone, that we're fighting this battle together, and he is the victor. Um, in all these things, it says in Romans 8, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He's, none of us as his children will be his first failure. Uh, I won't be the one he couldn't protect, the one he couldn't preserve for all eternity. Uh, he will do that for me like, and you, just like he does for any, uh, any of his children and all of his children. All right, so in that context, we have this marvelous thing called prayer. And that's what this passage ends with. Pray for me and I have boldness and all that kind of stuff. And what is prayer? It's talking to God about what's going on around me. And if I'm listening in prayer, which I think a conversation is, should be two-way, not just me filling the air with sound, but listening. What he's going to say is, I got you. I'll protect you. Remember the truth. Uh, you, the word of God is your sword. That's what you... That's what combats the, the, the weapons of the enemy are lies. The weapons of God are truth. Lies put you in bondage. Truth sets you free. Remember that, son. Remember that, daughter. Uh, I, am, I am with you. I'm in you. I am who I am in you. And I will be I, I, who I am through you as well. So there's pr this prayer is a conversation with our Father in the midst of real life. So that in real time, I can remember who I am and his strength and his might and stand firm, even though it feels like the whole world is coming loose under me. You know, when Peter walked on the water, when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he got out and he walked on the water too. He was fine until he started looking at the wind and the waves. And he thought, I'm sure, being a fisherman, you can't walk on water. What am I doing? So he began to put his faith in what he saw rather than the one he was trusting. And he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down and picked him up and pulled him out. Because even though we fail or don't hang on as tight as we should at the moment, that doesn't mean he lets go of us. Because his grip on us is what actually secures us. It's not our grip on him. Which, by the way, is the mystery of the gospel. In the very end of our passage, he says, I want to be able to speak this mystery of the gospel boldly to those who are around me, even though I'm in chains, Paul said in Ephesians 6. And this mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, it says. If Christ is in you, you are secure. He won't let go of you. He's going to finish what he started. He's making you his image so that you won't just be a, a little cardboard cutout of him in the corner. You'll be a living, breathing child of God, displaying the very nature and the character of God, not apart from him, 
but in conjunction with him. Now that, that is hallelujah ground, ground to stand on as far as I'm concerned. Doesn't mean that I won't experience difficulty. Jesus promised actually that we would experience difficulty in this world, but even though we're in the world, we're not of the world, just like he was in the world, but not of the world. It also says in the scripture, as he is, so also are we in this world. Loved by God, cared for by God, protected by God, led by God, secured by God, and received back uh, home by God one day. Well, Ephesians is a great book, and of course all of them are. But it talks about in the beginning who you are in Christ, and then it talks about how to begin to live in light of who you are in Christ. And that's a pattern you see in almost all of Paul's writings, who you are, and based on who you are, this is how you live. And the important part of it is not just who you are, but who Christ is in you. And he covers that in every one of his writings. And indeed, that is the new covenant. That is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, well, next week, what we're going to do is start looking at a, a, a list of topics, things that we all say, well, what about this? Like, what about this problem I have that I wish I could quit and I keep doing, this sin problem, this, this activity or behavior that I know is not godly, but it seems like at times I just have no control over it. What do I do about that? What do I do about this person that I love that, that's mistreating me? What do I do about the fact that I feel like I hate that person over there? What do I do about um, my, my shyness or timidness when I should be speaking up for Christ and I get, I get real quiet and and feel like a coward. What do I do about these things and so forth? So we're gonna look at topics that I believe are relevant to both you and I that we face every day. Maybe not all of them every day, but from time to time we face these, these uh, questions and struggles and see how does, how does this new covenant of Christ in me address that problem in real time, in the moment? How does, how does the truth that I'm righteous in Christ help me in the moment, in the days that I live, the places that I find myself, the interactions with other people that uh, I have in relationships. All right, so I think that'll be a great journey. Um, if you see me or want to email me or call me or whatever and, and suggest a topic, I'd be totally into that. I'd love to hear from you what you're interested in talking about, but I believe I'll cover a lot of them anyway, but who knows, I may not cover the one you're, talk, you're, you're wanting to hear about, so. I'd love to hear from you. So let's pray, and I will see you next time. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have been so uh, amazing throughout human history to stay on task, to continue to do whatever was necessary to bring your children to glory, the Bible talks about, to put yourself in us, to cleanse this temple, to fill us with your spirit, and to help us to live that life that you are living along with you so that it proves to ourselves and the people around us that we truly are children of God. Thank you for your amazing grace that does all of this because we were completely powerless to do any of it on our own. We pray in Christ's name, amen.